Good morning. Welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White, joined by Bob Lorson. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. It's kind of quiet in here this morning. It is quiet. Uh, Bob Weber is in College Station, and Dustin Pendell is traveling abroad. Both of them are attending meetings, so it's just you and I this morning. Why aren't, why aren't we traveling someplace exotic today? <laughs> We've traveled to several exotic places. In fact, last week we went to Denver. That's, so we'll, that's right. We we'll, did go to Denver. We'll talk a little bit about that. The NCBA Summer Conference was in Denver. We'll, we'll discuss that as well as talking about record-keeping, cow record-keeping programs. And then we're getting close to the end of summer, but I also want to discuss early preg check. We sometimes talk about preg, pregnancy testing, especially heifers early. We'll talk about pros and cons for, for doing that. And those are our, our topics for today. So wanted to jump right into NCBA. You and I went to NCBA Summer Conference last week. What'd you learn? Yeah, well, one of the things that I always appreciate going to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association meeting is, is just the opportunity to, to interact with people from all over the country in all aspects of the beef industry. You got uh, commercial purebred cow-calf producers, you got feedlot producers, you got people involved in integrated systems. You got uh, people from the livestock market. So it's a great meeting just to some of the hallway conversations as well as uh, some of the committee meetings and things like that. So it, one of the things, it impresses me just how many people are, are really working hard for their industry. Yeah, not, not just for the individual operations, but for the industry as a whole. And you chaired one of those committees. What was the committee that you chaired? So I work with the Herd Biosecurity um, and BVD subgroup. And uh, it's part of the animal uh, health and well-being committee or the cattle health and well-being committee uh, and so there are a few veterinarians there but a lot of producer uh, input and a lot of producer leadership on those working groups and committees and for those that haven't been the the committee structure there the, the committee will the committee as a whole will come up with ideas or policies or resolutions and a lot of that's based on having information that comes in and is presented to the committee so there were a couple subcommittees that on the on the day before, had three, four, five speakers, depending on the committee, and, and some good topics covered in those meetings. Yeah, there really was uh, some great topics, and and uh, I learned quite a bit of information that I probably should have known, but, you know, um, it was yeah. in, in that one of the... So what, issues, were some, what were some examples? Okay, that, a couple of, couple of examples that then did turn into some policy statements um, had to do with uh, disease traceability. Um we, we talk about sometimes foreign animal diseases and the need for animal traceability in that event, uh, which we hope actually never happens. But it's uh, important to realize that there are, are disease tracebacks, particularly um, tuberculosis. We've had a couple of problems uh, in the United States um, with tuberculosis. And, and again, it doesn't affect a lot of cattle, but it does start to affect quite a few herds in the traceback and, and the attempt to really control that disease. Brucellosis is another disease, especially up around the, the Yellowstone Park area, that uh, we got some information on about on where we are making progress, but still not quite able to completely eradicate that disease. Yeah, absolutely. The, the interesting thing of some of those was related to the level of detective work that goes on when you try to track, and, and even today as you try to track cattle back down, very sophisticated technology involved as they're looking at the genome of those specific agents and how we can track it back and where did this one come from, as well as trying to follow the cattle through the system. So interesting work there presented by some of the states, state veterinarians, some of the regulatory officials that were talking about how we do this process and how we could make it better. So that, that was a good topic for oh, discussion. It, it was, it was, as a veterinarian, I thought it was very interesting. But again, the room is, is more 
uh, is filled with more producers than veterinarians, and their their take on the information and how uh, it applied to their operations was was good to understand as well. Couple couple resolutions that that came out of that that I thought were interesting and maybe worth discussion. First one was on biotechnology, and it just talked about the the tools used for the detective work, but also there are tools used for making improvements both on the crop side as it's fed to cattle, as well as talking about genetic improvements on the cattle side. And one of the presentations was from a uh, from the person from the pork board as they were discussing some of the different programs in their industry, looking at how we can improve the genetics and really focused on disease resistance, right? Yes. Yeah. There's an interesting uh, effort on the, on the swine side to use a gene knockout technology, basically, to make pigs more resistant to a particular disease that they get, PERS, which is a a swine disease. Um, And so this is really, and it's less um, invasive than some of the earlier uh, genetic modifications, because it's really about just kind of deleting a gene that, that actually there are probably a few pigs that actually don't have that gene. So it's kind of replicating what happens sometimes in nature, but under more controlled situations. And so then the question is, how, how, what is the appropriate way to, to regulate that, to monitor that, to um, you know, protect the public, protect the people doing the research? Um, and, and those are difficult questions. Yeah, and it, and it was good discussion. And, and really what the group decided was biotechnology is progressing rapidly. We need to be sure that we have science-based means of assessing those technologies, how well they work. What are the implications down the road, and how do we go through that? How do we go through that process? So I thought that was a good discussion. The other one that you mentioned, traceability, came up, and there was a, a resolution before the Animal Health Committee uh, that really talked about, in, in broad terms, disease traceability is pr- is pretty valuable to our industry, and both from a couple aspects, some of the domestic diseases that you talked about, but also if we have other problems, that we have a a mechanism in place to track those cattle through the system because cattle in our production system travel a fair bit. Yes, they do. And and there's some work being done here at Kansas State University, some of the faculty in, in vet med as well as AggieCon and some other places and, and some other universities um, that have looked at um, how, do you, how do you make disease impact less? So if we have a disease outbreak, whether it's a, a disease that's already in the United States or a foreign animal disease, from a, from a regulatory standpoint, basically we want as few herds impacted as possible. That's right. And, and to be clear, there's a traceability system in place now for mature animals. So if, if they're a mature animal moving through commerce, there is a traceability system in place. However, there is not a traceability system in place for feeder calves, which right. we move quite frequently. Yes. So the, the resolution was that we should look at what does it take to make an effective disease traceability system and not just on the mature animals but covering across the board and there were there were some interesting things presented from some pilot projects different states so florida's doing a a pilot project Uh, texas is is doing a pilot project looking at feasibility we've mentioned on this show the cattle trace project which is uh, affecting kansas and several other states and we'll put a link in the show notes to that cattle trace project so you can find out more information but we're seeing more movement and and how, in your perspective, how has this changed over the last few years? Well, I've been involved with the Cattle Health and Wellbeing Committee there at NCBA for a, for a number of years, um, and and the conversation has changed a lot. It's become much more positive. And and I want to I want to be sure and say that some of the concerns are um, 
who owns the data, uh, who has access to the data. Is it only the state veterinarian or do some of my competitors have access to the data? Those types of things. And those are valid questions. And, and being involved a little bit on this cattle trace project, um, th those are important things to get right so that, so that we can truly have disease traceability, but not in any way on purpose or accidentally influence um, the, the competitive mar marketplace. Absolutely. So the, da the data has to be protected. And that's one of the things that we're setting up through that cattle trace project. So I, th I, I think that as we move forward, the attitude is more open to understanding these are important issues. And the, and the gentleman from Florida, as he explained their program, said, we really have to protect our, our borders. And how do we make sure that we can do that as, as things come in? Traceability is one of the ways. Yeah. So, I think, so that, I think 10 years ago, people were more concerned about the potential negatives. And now they see those potential negatives as things that we can manage. And they're looking towards the positives of, of traceability. So one of the one of the other topics we wanted to talk about today was records and your cow calf herd. So you and I've had this discussion a, a couple times. How important is it to keep records in the cow herd? And and this is a this, this is a great question because I may not give the answer that people expect. Um, I think that cow beef cow herds don't require the level of records that a, a dairy operation or a swine operation or a feedlot operation does. And it really has to do with the production cycle. Um, basically, we produce one calf crop a year, um, and we treat all the animals as a herd. They're kind of going through the same production phases all at the same time. And, you, and that's very different than a, a dairy operation where there's a group of cows calving every week throughout the year, and, and production is being sold every week. Same thing on a swine operation or a feedlot operation. So cow-calf operation is different than some of the other... So are you talking about just the frequency of collection, or do you think they just need... No records. No, I, I don't mean that they need no records. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> so, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm at the university. I'm a veterinarian. I, I like having records. I like being able to, to answer questions about the herd. But in, all, in reality, a lot of times that can be done with a much simpler system than is required in areas of agriculture that have faster turnover of product and marketing and, and, and honestly, just decisions that are being made. You know, again, on, I'll use dairy as an example. Cows are being bred every week. And so it takes a little more record keeping to keep track of how successful we are, where are the problems, those types of things. We still need those same kind of answers to questions in the beef industry, uh, in the cow-calf side. Um, but it's not an every week of the year event. So if you could pick one record that you're going to keep or one piece of information that, that would help you evaluate the farm, how the ranch is doing or the cow-calf operation specifically here, what would you pick? Uh, I would probably pick the percentage of cows that get pregnant early in the breeding season, so the first 20 or 30 days of the breeding season, the percentage of calves that are sold per cow exposed. Because if you get to the percentage of calves sold per cow exposed, you really, it ties in how many cows got pregnant. And if we lost calves due to calf disease or something like that, that'll show up as a loss as well. So if a commercial herd has a good percentage of calves sold per cow exposed, then I know that they're doing quite a few things right. What would that be? What would a good percentage be? Well, there's going to be a little bit of geographic differences uh, because of... Yeah, there's going to be some geographic differences of what I expect from a, a cow herd. But in Kansas, I'm really expecting um, 90 
92 to 95 percent of the cows to get pregnant in a relatively short breeding season and to have relatively little death loss, so less than 5% death loss throughout the, the system. That's abortions and early calf loss and those kinds of things. So you're talking about uh, upper 80s to lower 90% calves weaned per cow exposed. So the nice thing about the percent calves weaned per cow exposed is you can calculate it based on knowing the number of weaned calves, the number of cows exposed to the bull, and then if you had some calls in between on the cows. So some pretty straightforward numbers there to, to get at that base number. Then it, it's more like a indicator light on your engine. If it's, if it's low, lots of things it could be, and that's where we need more in-depth records. And, and we'll talk, I think, more next week when hopefully Dr. Weber's back, and, and we'll talk about some of the specifics on records and what we want to keep when. Yeah. So early, early pregnancy testing on heifers... This is something that it's about that time of year as we get into August. It seems early for a lot of pregnancy testing occurs September, October, November, into the fall. We're here in August. It, would we think about early pregnancy testing on heifers? And what are the pros and cons or advantages to doing that? Well, actually, I've gotten a couple of phone calls this past week from veterinarians doing some early preg checks of, of replacement heifers. Uh, the clinicians at the vet school are taking students out, starting to do some preg checking of heifers as well. Uh, so it's definitely that time of year. And I think the reason that, that people tend to like to preg check heifers early is several. One is um, many herds will breed heifers to calve ahead of cows, which I think is usually a good idea. Uh, and so they've been pregnant, they're a little bit farther along in pregnancy than the mature cows. The other thing is uh, with replacement heifers, um, they don't have calves at side. And so the, some of the challenges of prey checking cows have to do with, you know, getting the pair in, separating the calf out, dealing with the calf and the cow. And with replacement heifers, I don't have to worry about that. So they're a little bit easier to, to get up at basically any time that I want to do prey checking. The other thing is um, it allows us to be more accurate on identifying those heifers that got pregnant early. And again, I so think it's... Why, why is it more accurate? Okay, so I, and that, that's a good question because it would appear that it's easier to preg check the later in pregnancy they are. Yep. And I, I would agree if that you're trying to decide are they pregnant or not. The, more, the, the bigger the, the calf is in there... The, the easier e to say if she's pregnant. The easier to find yeah. it. But what becomes difficult is saying how far along in pregnancy she is. Because my goal really is to have heifers that got pregnant uh, their first cycle or their second cycle in that breeding season. So they got pregnant in the first 30 to 40 days of the breeding season. Um, and differentiating those that got pregnant in the first 20 days versus those that didn't get pregnant until 60 or 70 days after the start of the breeding season becomes more difficult when the calf gets big. When so, but if you if you AI'd and you wanted to know are they AI pregnancies or and you waited a, a couple of weeks to turn in the bull, you you could differentiate those two. You think? Yeah, and that's a long, one of the things that a lot of our clients will ask us to do. So, if they AI heifers, um, we ask them if they want to be able to tell the difference between an AI pregnancy and a bull pregnancy. Leave the bulls away from the heifers for two weeks and then put them in, but then let the veterinarian come in and do a fairly early preg check. And, and again, a lot of these are done with ultrasound, but they don't have to be. Uh, you can come in and, and manually preg check. If you're doing it, you know, no later than you know, about 100 days after that AI pregnancy. Okay, so when we're saying early preg check, you're talking about preg checking. So if the, if the bulls, or if they AI'd, then 100 days after the AI date, and if they had a 60-day breeding season, 
the lower end of that would be would be around 40 days of, yeah. of gestation. So yes. there may be some of those, if you're not using ultrasound, you have to recheck, or some of those you can pick up depending on the situation and how many days are there. But you want to get in early primarily to detect those early pregnancies because even when we're talking about records, the, the percent of those that get bred early is critical. And we've done some work that looks at heifers, and if they calve early, they're going to be more likely to be in the herd. That's also well, their also, lifetime productivity goes up. Yeah, some of the work out of Nebraska with Dr. Funston has, has shown really well that their lifetime productivity is better if they calve in that first 21 days of, yes. of the calving season get bred back. Yeah, and so you know, just just to make it clear, so it's relatively easy for me to tell the difference between a hundred day pregnancy and an 80 day pregnancy. It's much less easy for me to tell the difference between 140 and 160 day pregnancy. Those are going to feel 140 and 160 day pregnancy are going to feel pretty much the same, but a 100 day versus a 80 day pregnancy feels pretty different. That's what I mean by the earlier I can do the preg check, the more accurate I am at aging the pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some marketing advantages for those open heifers. So if they're open heifers and they come out now, you, you in some areas of the country may be able to sell those a little bit sooner, get them to a better marketplace than if we wait until lots of those open animals are sold or non-pregnant animals are sold mid-fall. Yeah, that, that's really true. And a lot of these heifers, uh, if they're put on feed right away, they'll, they'll still make the, the younger age cutoffs on, on, on the carcass side. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think early preg checking heifers is a is a good plan. Some people early preg check cows, especially as we've looked at some early weaning this year. Same advantages, disadvantages, and and there are some real advantages, especially with heifers. And we care about getting those into the herd as soon as possible. So August early preg checking heifers and thinking about going back to school. So I I sit here this morning as. We're a couple weeks from school at our house, and so everybody had too much energy yesterday, so we went outside and played basketball in the driveway, so I have a black eye to show for well, all the fun that we had. And, yeah, Dr. White is, uh, is, has four boys, um, and so they do more of the football, basketball uh, types of sports. I've got three daughters, and, and they're runners, and they're good runners, and they, so they've already been doing the, the cross country, uh, getting ready for two a days coming up pretty soon and hitting the road. But, but the good thing is there's not a lot of physical contact uh, and, and dad isn't really expected to go and run along. <laughs> you, you don't have to run or throw around the old pigskin. No. Oh, oh, pigskin. There we go. So I am ready for football season to come around. Um, but as a beef producer, I think that we are, we are uh, being, being shunned because did you know? That the football, although people call it a pigskin, is not made of pigskin. It's made of leather. It is made of cow leather. Cow leather. So, so when when those uh, ESPN announcers get on there, they should be talking about kicking around the old cow skin. <laughs> it doesn't have quite the same connotation to it. So. Excellent. Well, we appreciate you joining us this week. If you have questions or comments, please email us at bci at ksu.edu, and we'd be happy to answer those or talk about them on our show. 